This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, May 24th, 2015. Jesus questions, the world or your soul? Given by Pastor Scott McClamont. Good morning. It's still morning, isn't it? Good morning, y'all. I always say y'all. I'm from the South. I'm from Salisbury, Maryland. So... <clears throat> I like saying y'all a lot, get that southern draw. I have to go down to Salisbury every now and then to get it back in me. But, all right, that's not what I'm here to talk about. All right. Um, it's a privilege to be here with you and to bring you the word today and hopefully bring you a word uh, from God that something will be changed, rearranged, transformed within your heart, within your life today. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, if you have an app for that, or if you just want to look up here on the screen, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 36, as we look at this question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Will you pray with me? Speak, O Lord as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. Amen. Amen. So I want to begin today with uh, a story. It's from an unknown author. And I want to share this story with you because I want to be able to give you kind of uh, a setting. And in this setting, it may remind us of maybe where we've been, what we have come from, uh, maybe where we're at at the moment. Or maybe we know someone um, who is challenged and struggling with these same things, or maybe something entirely different, but struggling Nonetheless, here's the story. She trembled as she put on her lipstick. She never dreamed she would be caught in this predicament. Forty years old, active in her church with a 15-year-old daughter and a loving husband, and she was considering having an affair with her boss. He's such an attractive man. He's everything that Bob, my husband, is not. He takes care of himself. He wears great clothes. He's fun. He's a visionary. The company has broken every record since he took over, and it's not like he's happily married. She puts the finishing touches on her hair and says, I know Bob will be crushed if he found out, but it's not like he's the perfect husband or anything like that. He's so preoccupied with his work, he scarcely has time for me, and he's always so tired. You know, I found him frowning a lot lately. Something seems to be troubling him. I can't imagine what it is. God, I hope Christy never finds out. She's such a straight arrow. It's amazing that she could be my daughter Everything's right and wrong to her. Why can't she see some gray sometimes? Actually, she's, 
too much like Bob. She stays down at the church too much. Sure, I'm glad she goes to church on Sunday morning, and so do I. I go most of the time, but what 15-year-old gets up and goes to Sunday school every Sunday without a parent dragging them, kicking and screaming? Can I get an amen or an ouch? All right. She says, it's weird. And then there's Sunday youth meeting and all those committees she's on. Oh, I know any other mother would be thankful for a daughter like Christy. And that's not what I'm saying, but you know, gosh, she's never any trouble. She makes good grades in school, but if she could just lighten up a little bit, particularly where church is concerned. <laughs> not that I have anything against church. <laughs> I used to be real active, but that was before Reverend Smith came. <laughs> Sometimes he just gives me the creeps. He's a nice man and all that, but he's a little bit too rigid. I mean, just last Sunday, he seemed to be looking right at me when he quoted those words from the Bible. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Joan thought, good grief. It isn't like I'm on the verge of losing my soul or anything. Bob, her husband, Bob, sat on the edge of the bed and he, he stared into the bathroom where Joan was finishing up getting ready. He thought to himself, how I hate going to work this morning. I've been a lot like this lately, just hating to go into work. And God, what do you do when you discover your boss has been falsifying records? No big deal, the boss says. But it's a big deal to me. Some of our customers are starting to notice. The home office has started asking why our expenses are so much higher than the other offices compared to sales. Besides, it's starting to affect morale, and some of the salesmen are starting to cheat on their expense accounts. I mean, they say, after all, if the boss does it, why can't I? And I remember the boss coming in and telling me one day, look, Bob, the question of right and wrong is very clear. I just need you to cloud it up for me a little bit. But for Bob, everything was crystal clear, and in spite of what his boss said, it was a big deal for him. This wasn't the way I was brought up. And he tried to explain that to, to Joan one night, and she sided with the salesman and his boss. She said, look, you've got a good job. You make good money. You've got a nice home. Bob, don't rock the boat. And he watched her putting on the last bit of makeup in the bathroom, and he said to himself, you know, she is so beautiful, particularly lately. But sometimes he wished that she weren't quite so shallow. He knew that about her when they got married. She wanted fashy clothes, and she wanted the best car, and she wanted the house in the, in the right neighborhood with the proper amount of rooms, and she needed the membership in the right clubs, and those were the things that were important to her. Bob knew that, and God knows that he tried to provide for her. And that was part of the reason that he hesitated about making any changes in his job. And he shouldn't complain. Joan was a good wife, and good mother, Christy, their daughter, she turned out so super, they must have done something right. He turned his head to look at the clock beside the bed. I, 
I better get a move on so I don't want the boss to get upset. It's not like I've got another job waiting. I'm 45 years old with a big mortgage. It's not so bad. And maybe Joan is right. I've got a good deal. Why should I rock the boat at work? It doesn't seem to bother anyone else, so why should it bother me? But still, he felt like Reverend Smith was looking right at him that Sunday morning when he spoke those words from the Bible. What good is it? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Bob says, I don't think I'm going to lose my soul over all this. Right now, I'm just a silent accomplice. As long as the boss really doesn't ask me to do anything that's illegal or against the law, I guess I'll get by. Christy stared out the window. She'd been up for some time. She'd cried herself to sleep the night before. And she thought to herself, I've lost my best friend. Her mind began to race back to the exam that last Wednesday. Her best friend, Belinda, she was trying to look over her shoulder to copy some answers off her test sheet, and Christy deliberately moved her shoulder forward to shield the paper so Belinda couldn't see, so she couldn't cheat. And after the exam, Belinda confronted her. She said, look, why couldn't you just be my friend? Why couldn't you just let me cheat? You know I've been having trouble at home. I couldn't get ready for this exam like you did. Why couldn't you just be my friend? And Christy had to admit that it hurt. Was it more important for her to be a friend or to be honest? She knew what most of her friends thought. She knew what people at her school thought, thought because there had just been a poll a few weeks ago that was printed in the school newspaper of all the students that were within her school. And almost 25% of high school students in her school said, it's okay to do whatever you have to do to succeed as long as you don't hurt anyone. Nearly two-thirds say they've cheated on an exam during the past year. One-third said they stole something within the past 12 months. Most of them rank honesty really, really low. But maybe Belinda's right, she thought. Maybe friendship is more important than honesty. So she went to her parents. She thought she would get some good support from mom and dad, but mom sided with Belinda. She said, look, honey, you need to be more flexible. But dad's been so preoccupied with work that he didn't even seem to hear the question. Mom wasn't the first to tell her, though, that she needed to learn to bend a little. And that's why Christy stayed home most weekend nights. Because some of the boys she had gone out with wanted her to bend a lot. They lost interest when they discovered that Christy didn't want to play their game. She was only trying to do what she thought was right. Doesn't anybody understand that? And she really thought to herself, you know, maybe one person does. Maybe, maybe Reverend Smith does because it looked like he was looking right at me last Sunday when he read those words from Scripture. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And Christy said, I don't know about my soul but it sure does hurt to lose your best friend. 
I don't know if this is where some of you are at today or maybe you know somebody that's, that's here today. Maybe it accurately describes our lives or someone that we know. If, and if we are merely dust, here today, gone tomorrow, then ultimately what does it really matter what we do with our lives? What does it matter? See, there are many people who live this way. They're not evil people. They are not evil people. Some of them have perfect attendance in Sunday school. Some of them have perfect attendance in church. They're not bad people. You know, live in beautiful homes, and they drive the nice cars. They're well-educated. They've never broken a law. The only problem is they haven't a clue what Jesus meant when he said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? yet forfeit their soul. Companies know this. Advertisers know this. Manufacturers know this. The world knows this. And, and what they do is they all get together and they bombard us with everything that's supposed to look attractive to the world, and it shapes our decisions. Even as Christian people, it shapes our decisions, the houses we live in, the places we go, the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the food we eat, the beverages we drink, the places we vacation. But what's the prize? What is the prize? Because we do that and we try our best to fit in and do all those things because we have this assumption that if we do all those things, it will mean that we are accepted and that we are respected by other people. And the opposite, in fact, is what's going to happen. Because in our pursuit to climb the corporate ladder, in our pursuit to make more money, in our pursuit to achieve fame, we have fixed our eyes so closely on the earthly prize that we cannot focus on the cross of Christ that shouts out to us, what good is it? What good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Just like Jesus' disciples, Peter, what happens is we take our eyes off of Christ. Peter steps out of the boat. He begins to walk on the water. But what happens? He takes his eyes off of Christ, and he began to sink. But I know that we have a Lord, and we have a Savior that was tempted in the same way that we are tempted. In the Gospels, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, specifically in Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4, Jesus is tempted by the devil just as we are tempted. And what does the devil tempt him with? The devil has him up on the side of a mountain. They're looking over the world. He says, look out into that world, Jesus. I can give you all that. I can give you fame, and I can give you fortune. I can give you all that. You can be on top of the world. You can own the world. And I paraphrase and I embellish Jesus' response. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need the world. I don't need people's applause. I just need to be faithful to God's cause. And if Jesus was tempted with the worldly pleasures that do not satisfy, then I know the devil is tempting each one of us with the pressures to succeed or the race to the top or the, the way to fit in or the, the one who dies with the most toys wins. But when we die, who gets our stuff? 
who gets our stuff. If any of you are fans of Family Feud, how many of you watch Family Feud, Game Show Network? I really like Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, he's kind of like the current guy. I really like him, and he's on there now. But let me take you all back. I want to see how old you are. How many of you remember Richard Dawson? I love it. It's like a sea of hands. All three service. It was great. <laughs> Richard Dawson. Oh, but on the show, one, one of these earlier shows that Richard Dawson was doing, um, there, was, there was a question on there. And what they do is they poll for these top answers. How many people say that this? And the top answer is the one that you really need to win. You, know, you want to get that top answer to take it back to your family. And the question was this, is when you die, what would you want to take with you? And the number one answer was money. When you die, the number one answer polled around the, the, the world, money. People want to take money with them. And I don't know about you, but I am under the same opinion as the hymn writer George Beverly Shea when he wrote these words in 1922. And if you know it, sing along. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be a king of a vast domain or be caught in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Music is such a great part of my life. I love music. I love the Psalms in your Bible. I love singing the old hymns. And I love singing the new praise music. They have such an effect on my heart in my life, and I love singing them and getting caught up in the good theology, the solid theology of new and old ones alike that have and will stand the test of time. But I'm here to tell you it is so easy. It is so easy to get caught up in the world's song. It is so easy to get caught up in the devil's lies. It is so easy to get caught up in the world's theme or society's everyday sermon that we're bombarded with. Gain the world. Eat. Drink. Be merry. For tomorrow we die. And that was King Solomon's demise. When we read in the Bible about King Solomon, King Solomon accumulated more wealth than anyone. And he cries out in the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Alexander the Great, at 33 years old, conquered the entire known world. And when there was no more world left to conquer, he wept and he cried and he died. For what will it profit us to gain the whole world? and lose our souls in the process. When I look at the world's condition, especially in respect to young people, and how the world teaches them to strive for worldly gain, and how we as a church need to teach them that real life is not a materialistic life, but real life is a spiritual life led by Jesus Christ. That's real life. But what the world is just bombarding our youth with 
is that a materialistic life is the life. And I was reminded of some statistics in relation to young people in the church from Bruce Wilkinson and Seven Laws of the Learner. These are alarming as a pastor, as a Christian, and as a dad. 70% of high school grads never come back to church. 65% of Christian teens never read the Bible. 42% of Christian teens say there are many ways to God. 28% feel that the Bible is inaccurate. 65% of high school Christian students are sexually active. 45 to 50% of teen pregnancies are aborted. 3.3 teens in the U.S. are alcoholics. And over a thousand teens try to commit suicide every day because at the race to the top and at the race to fit in, they're losing their hope. And the church is to provide them hope. The pressure to succeed and fit in and blend with the world are just overwhelming. Church, what are we doing to care for the souls of God's people? Because each time that we compromise, it gets easier to compromise again and to compromise again and to compromise again. This moment, this moment right now is the only moment that we have. Why is that? Because we're not promised another moment. It's here and it's gone. Each moment that we have is the only moment that we have. And if by God's grace we get another moment, or we get another minute, or we get another hour, another day, another week, another month, or another year, then it is only by God's grace that I get that other moment. What good? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their souls? So what do we do with tomorrow? Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will bring enough worries of its own. We don't have to worry about making more. I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan accordingly to live for tomorrow, to have a roof over our heads, to put food on the table. What I'm saying and what Jesus, I think, is saying here is don't plan unselfishly and put the world before God and our souls. Why? Because just in the verse previous to that, verse 33, Jesus says, God will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. I have faith and believe that my God provides for my every need. God never gives me too little, and God never gives me too much. The devil may strike our frail bodies. We may lose all of our earthly wealth and possessions. We may lose a family member. We may lose a loved one. We may, just like Job, lose everything. But there is a rock. But there is a rock, that pain and that sorrow and that the devil cannot touch. There is an anchor that holds in every storm of life, and that is Jesus Christ. If tomorrow brings me peace and prosperity, then I shall keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. If tomorrow brings me sorrow and loss, then my faith remains steadfast, because God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If tomorrow finds my soul in eternity rather than here on this earth, then I am fully trusting in the mercy of the man of Calvary, and I shall go by the gates by the blood of the Lamb, a sinner saved by grace. That's the gospel. That's the gospel for us today. We don't have to live by the patterns of this world because Jesus tells us, I have something better planned for you. 
I have a life, a full life, not an earthly life void of pain and sorrow, but a life filled with hope and eternity, promise that when we leave this world, we will be made perfect as God in heaven is perfect, and we will sing with all the saints who have gone before this. The world cannot offer me that. The devil cannot make that promise. Only God can, through Jesus Christ, can offer me that promise. And that promise, even in our sinfulness, even yet when I was still a sinner, the grace of Jesus Christ was extended to me if I would only accept it. And that offer of grace is extended to you today if you would only accept it. I don't need the world. I do not need people's applause. I need to be faithful to God's great cause. I am sure someone is here today struggling with the temptation to compromise your faith. Maybe it's our morals or our ethics or to compromise our souls. Actually, I think we are bombarded from it from the moment we wake up until the time we go to bed. And if you're like me, sometimes even our dreams haunt us enough to wake us up in the middle of the night because we can't get it out of our minds. Do you struggle with that? Because if you do, my prayer is that in those times of struggle that you turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So if you're not sure how it is with your soul or whether you are trying to achieve for the world or trying to keep your eyes fixed on the cross, I just want you to know that during that struggle there are going to be people that want to pray with you and if you're here today and you're just not sure, there are people that want to pray with you right back here to my left and you're right at the prayer table. They want to pray with you and for you as you think about these two questions. The first one is this, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? The second question is, how is it between you and Jesus Christ right now? Because this is the only moment we have. Don't leave today without answering those questions because eternity is what hangs in the balance. What good is it? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose their soul. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit that was ever present in our midst, in us, and through us, covering us, holding us up, Lord, strengthening us for the time that we can stand and shout, Lord, and praise to you that, Lord, my sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. 
I bear it no more so I can sing, Lord, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you've taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church. Connecting people with Jesus. 